0: We're doing the show from Cheyenne, Wyoming, and Brent is here in Lady Jupes with me,
1: Alex. Hello, Brent. Hello, guys. I brought him with, you know, he's been with us the whole trip, Alex. We're in for such a treat tonight. I have two of my best friends in the whole world, my one of my favorite beverages, and a self-hosted podcast. This is, this is going to be a perfect episode. Wow. Wait a minute, though. What's the favorite beverage? I feel like you got you to give us more information. Well, this particular one is non-alcoholic. It's an import Okay, so I've gone to a lot a lot of effort for this particular beverage. Import from Canada or somewhere further? The British people in the audience are gonna laugh their faces off in a minute. It's it's Robinson's squash. Do you know what that is? No, I gotta look it up. Tell me about it. Okay. So it's just flavoured water essentially. It's a bit of it's a bit of sugar uh with um apple and blackcurrant flavoring in it. And Every six months or so, someone in my family sends me a care package with a few British treats in, so some, you know, British-style Kit Kats because the Kit Kats you have over here are garbage. Mm. And then also a few of these Robinson's squashed, uh, the, it's the word squash with an apostrophe in D after the end, these little, you know, water-flavouring packets you can you can get, and I end up with a, you know, a taste of home. It's It's just a, a little treat I have every now and again.
0: That does sound kind of nice. We have, uh, we have, we have some, some things just like that on board today. Actually, the kids love to drink it while we're going down the road. We've been off grid and too, killing it. In fact, in some ways, I think I've been uh, not in some ways in every single way. I've, I've enjoyed our off grid random spots that we've stayed along the way more than any of the campgrounds. Some have been forced and some have been planned, but they've <laughs> all been good. Yeah. There was, there was a time where we had to pull over for a bit and, uh, you know the power system was great, although we were a little we were a little short on water. The mobile internet system has been killing it, though. It's been fantastic. We've had connectivity the entire time, everywhere we've went. Sometimes better or worse connectivity. Like here in Cheyenne, Wyoming, we have kind of eh, moderate connectivity right now. <laughs> but even with moderate connectivity, you can still use a Cloud Guru and become a a Cloud Guru. Go over to cloudguru.com, the leader in learning for cloud and Linux and other modern tech skills. Hundreds of courses, thousands of hands-on labs. Get certified, get hired, get learning at cloudguru.com. So, Alex, with uh, our special guest in studio, as it were, do you have any questions for uh, our our exclusive access to Brent? I mean, when's the last time we've had a chance to sit down and ask him a question?
1: It's been too long. For those of you that don't know, Brent is the host of Brunch with Brent, which you can find over at extras.show. Now, I wanted to ask you, Brent, you spent a few days now in Lady Dupes with Chris and the fam. He often goes on about accessibility of the Home Assistant interface and how he's got these tablets mounted to the wall and how easy it is to use and blah, blah, blah. I was curious as to how you found using someone else's automation system.
2: Well, as you know, I don't have an automation system at home, so I'm pretty fresh when it comes to experiencing these things. However, I will say my experience on day one started actually in the studio. He very kindly set up the exact same tablet system in the studio as he did here in Lady Jupes. So night one, I slept over there and had to figure it out. He gave me a 37-second tour, um, but actually that was enough. Um, It had a familiar enough on-off switch interface with very kind labels that were identical to the voice commands. And so I was able to play a little bit, actually. I could sort of run over there and go see the tablet and what things were named and then use some of the voice commands uh, and, I guess,
0: learn myself. The other thing I did is I, I got one of those wall mount socket mounts for the HomePod mini. So it's plugged in and mounted right there at the wall socket. And so it's in that guest room. So once you learn the names, you can just ask the HomePod to turn things on and off.
1: I do remember when my mother-in-law came to stay once a couple of years ago now, I was just in the throes of doing home assistant, you know, the, f- the first few months so I, everything I could possibly put behind automation was behind automation, including, you know, the light switches. The light switches no longer worked. And I, I just remember hearing through the wall, hey, Google, turn off the sodding lights. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Memorizing the names is the hardest part. I mean, my wife's been using the automation system for a couple of years now. She still has some troubles with the verbal syntax. And in part, that's because I've tried all the different assistant tubes. And so they sometimes have various different syntaxes. But the real systems in the RV, that's like the bigger system.
2: Mm -hmm. I feel like that system in the studio was really the training. It was like step one. Uh, to the system in the RV. And so what was nice about that was that getting here into the RV, it was like, oh yeah, you know, this tablet thing, it just has a heck of a lot more on the screen, but the same kind of systems apply. And so what I appreciate, I think the most about that interface is its simplicity, and it's categorization. So Chris has the systems categorized by either living space or uh, what their use is. And uh, so the first few nights, I would walk all the way back there just to turn the lights on. But these days, uh, it feels a lot easier.
0: <laughs>
1: now you know the names. And they can just uh, bark it into the air. <laughs> are, are you tempted at all to retrofit the cabin that you live in with, uh, with any of this stuff?
2: That's a very good question. So that hadn't quite hit me yet, but now I'm beginning to realize all of the advantages. So for instance, Chris has shown me, you know, he gave me the geek tour and he's given other people the geek tour. So I've been on it a few times and, uh, there are sensors in various bays on the Mm -hmm. RV, uh, that give temperature. And in my home, I'm got these thermometers all over the place, but I gotta actually, you know, go up the stairs into my loft to go check out if the fire's too hot up there or not.
0: Like an animal,
2: oh, like a caveman. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I know. I could see now the two systems in juxtaposition where I could really gain some uh, some currency there
1: because we've talked a lot about how you, in particular, can dip your toes into more self hosting stuff, and I feel like you're curious and you want to do this stuff but you just don't quite know how to break down that first barrier and kind of get going
2: i think if i had to pick the very first barrier that's keeping me from it the most it would be the server side uh it would be getting in there and creating a server that's stable enough and safe enough that i feel like i'm not getting myself in more
0: trouble than not this is where i think the home assistant blue or something like it, eventually is going to be is such an easy on-ramp for a guy like you because you know about Home Assistant. Now you've you've seen my Home Assistant setup, and the fact that there is a an official Home Assistant device that runs the whole stack, that's that's pretty compelling. I don't know if the price point's right yet, or you know if it's quite the right device yet, but I could definitely see that being a good starting spot, though. You know, I, I think that maybe you
2: guys are onto something. I have uh, at least two very good mentors who can walk me through some of the, the glitches, if any. But it sounds also like these days, you know, I've been hearing you guys talk about this for years, but it sounds like these days, things are pretty solid. So I feel like for me, maybe is a nice time to jump in.
0: Yeah. And you could always start small. Um, you'd be surprised too how many things Assistant might just pick up on a LAN automatically and suggest integrations for.
1: And it's never been a better time to take local stuff seriously. I mean, I don't know if you saw the Apple news that broke over the last week or two about their expanded protections for children. In other words, they're going to scan all of your pictures for kiddie porn, right? And it it always starts this way. And I, I, I really hate this kind of insidious way that big companies will roll out overreaching, egregious things like this in the name of, you know, Child porn, because who could possibly disagree with child porn?
2: The other thing about those integrations, it feels to me like it is affecting many people to solve the problems of few. Absolutely. I wonder about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, so as Apple put it, our goal is to create technology that empowers people and enriches their lives. We want to help protect children from predators and those who use communication tools to recruit and exploit them and limit the spread of CSAM, you know, child sexual abuse material. Obviously that's a laudable goal and we can't legitimately sit here and say that that is not a laudable goal. However, the way in which they're doing it, I have significant issues with. So what they're doing is they're taking every photo that you have on your iPhone or iPad that is linked to an iCloud account and scanning it On your local device. And this entire announcement has been extremely
0: complicated and confusing because they've really announced three things. They've announced iMessage image detection for child accounts in a family plan. They've announced iCloud photo library scanning on your local device. In other words, if you have iCloud photo library turned on locally on your device, it will scan and check for matches in the CSAM database. And then the third thing they've announced is they're also going to start censoring results in Siri search. So if you search for something like child porn and it matches that stuff, Siri's going to block that. And this is all happening using that new neural processing area in the Apple processors that they love to brag so much. It's accelerating this. And I find this to be an extremely, extremely slippery slope. And I know that the other side of the argument is, is that child harm is real. Uh, so it, one an interesting stat you've probably seen this floating around is Apple reports a couple of hundred uh, incidents of child porn in iMessage a year, a couple hundred a year. And Facebook Messenger, because they are already using the CSAM scanner, reports 20 million. It's a huge difference. And you got to figure, people that are using Facebook are probably on iPhones or Android devices. So there's probably a lot of iPhone users. If 20 million Facebook messaging flags have happened, whatever that is, whatever that metric is, there's a good chance that they were using iPhones and that that stuff's on their phone. Now, the thing is, is it's not going to matter if they don't turn on iPhoto library. And if you are a big child porn collector, I wouldn't imagine you're probably using I, iCloud's photo library feature. You probably wouldn't be auto-uploading your child porn to their server, right? I think you might be
2: surprised, actually. I bet you there's a lot of people out there uh, using technology just with the, for the bare minimum, just to get what they need done and not understanding, like we do, the underlying principles. And,
0: yeah. and uh, Maybe, yeah, I guess. And I suppose it's so easy to turn that stuff on. You turn on iCloud when you get your phone. You don't realize every picture you're taking. I suppose, especially if you're taking the pictures with the phone. But an important thing to realize is the CSAM detection is only looking for images that are in the database. It's not doing like some sort of flesh recognition algorithm and detecting 80% nakedness on a 10-year-old. Like it's not doing that. It is looking at a hash that has been provided by CSAM, which they then only look for those images. Um, And so it doesn't really feel that effective. If you combine the fact that people can just turn off iCloud Photo Library and it's only looking for the CSAM photos that exist today – it, it it seems like a limited reach, a limited return for a massive increase in surveillance on people's devices. And Alex, I think it sounds like it bo- it bothers you that it's actually happening on device. Like you'd almost be more comfortable if it was happening up in the cloud, it sounds like.
1: I think I would. And it, for me, this this feels like a capitulation to wider pressures that are at play. You know, if you're Apple, you probably get a lot of requests from different governments, different organizations to put back doors into your end-to-end encryption algorithms. And for me, I think this is their way of saying, no, we're not going to do that. But what we are going to do is say, we have some protections in place for the stuff that you say is actually bad, as opposed to terrorists or whatever the next excuse is going to be.
0: Right. You say you need a backdoor for child porn, so we are going to build a system that automatically detects it, and then your excuse for a backdoor
1: goes away. It's, it's, it's nullified. And then you have to move on to the next one. But what bothers me most is there was an ad campaign not that long ago that says, what happens on your iPhone stays on your phone as their part of their privacy message. This feels to me like it crosses a line because it, the scanning's happening on the local device, I don't necessarily opt in quite as obviously as I would if, say, my stuff was being uploaded to a remote server. Like Facebook is a good example. If if I upload something to Facebook, in my mind, I consider that now public domain, whatever the privacy controls that Facebook say is there. And it was an implicit action as
0: well. You're choosing to upload to Facebook. It's a manual action you're taking where iCloud Photo Library is kind of a built-in default. You have to be an iCloud user. And you can go in there and turn it on and off. But, you know, if you sign up for the whole shebang, you're going to get iCloud photo and
1: every photo you take goes in there. Like you said, it's just a very, very slippery slope. This this year, it's child pornography. Next year, it's terrorists. In 20 years time, it's monitoring a social credit score because you said something bad about the president. You know, that's what I worry about.
2: It's also true that these are only the things that they're saying they're scanning for. We don't know about the things they are not saying.
0: Right. And if you go by the the docs that Apple has released, they don't even have input in that CSAM database. They're basically just being handed a list of hashes. Here, put this in your database. Now, I have to say, I am actually more comfortable with this being on device. Um, I, I think because it limits the scale and scope of something when it's on device, a big database update or a feature like this is going to have to come through a software update. Where if it was a cloud service, they would just push the update and one day I would be subject to it. So I, I kind of prefer those aspects. And I think it also does help with the, with the privacy aspect. They're not having to unencrypt everything on iCloud to do this. They're doing it on your device that already has access. And then they're pinging Apple with a, hey, we think we found a match here. Apple then has to have some sort of human interact with that with that alert. There's various descriptions of what kind of alert they get. And then Apple flags the authorities. And it does seem like they've taken a lot of steps here. They've, they've limited the way they check this. They're looking for specific fingerprints. And then they have this cryptographic signature that they assign to it when they think they have found one. And that's what they send up to Apple. Then it's reviewed by a human. It's happening on your device instead of at cloud. And you can turn it off by turning off iCloud Photo Library. Is this a reasonable compromise if the platform, let's just say for the sake of argument, is really being used for child abuse at some massive scale because of the popularity of the platform. Is this a reasonable thing for them to do? Do not do they have some responsibility as a platform owner with a billion devices out there to take some action to try to maybe stop something like this?
1: Well, I look at that 20 million figure that you came out with for Facebook and divide that by 365 and that's 55,000 flags a day. Who is reviewing 55,000 flags a day? That's just a crazy amount of of signal to noise ratio, isn't it? No kidding. Well,
0: and can you imagine when they turn this on? the uh, The initial uh, if if this is going to be a thing and it's a real big problem, you would think they're going to have just this massive deluge of
1: of alerts. And I just wouldn't want that job. Well, I've certainly been on the other end of uh, logging overload or, or alert overload. You just you just stop looking after a while. And you know, the other
0: reality is several cloud providers, I think many, I don't want to name them off the top of my head, but I know Facebook and Microsoft are already doing this scanning. They're already doing this. Apple was one of sort of the holdouts here. So it really comes back to if you're not comfortable with this, you really have to you really have to self-host and you have to advocate self-hosting because that's the only way you can avoid this kind of content scanning. And if you're worried about the slippery slope of what could be added to this database, then I think people should really be I don't know like when you can self host like invest in self hosting use it, make an audience for it out there
1: absolutely and and on that note, actually, I thought we might try doing a new challenge in the show, uh the degooglification challenge I need to come up with a with a better name than that, don't I but
0: Well, I don't know. I actually kind of like it because I know what you mean immediately.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So the idea is I'm not going to be able to just cold turkey drop Google from my life because I use Gmail and I have done for 15 years or however long I've been using it a long time since the beta anyway. I use Google Photos a lot. I use Google. You know, it's going to be tricky. I'm not going to I'm not going to pull any punches. It's going to be very difficult. But the idea is one day a week. I am going to go completely cold turkey from Google. That's you know Duck Duck Go. That's you know a self hosted note service, a self hosted photo service. Completely no Google Photo backup, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. No Gmail, and no Android. Well, technically, I'm going to be using Lineage OS, and I think the only thing that I will allow in terms of degoogleifying is the uh, the the Micro G apps thing through. So oh. For the very first iteration of this, it'll probably be in episode fifty-three. This is fifty-one, just because I'm going to Denver next week to see you two fine gentlemen, and uh, I probably won't have time to do the full research on this. But I have an old One Plus Six in a drawer. I'm going to designate that as my de Googleify device. What do you think? Hmm. I, I mean, I love this
0: idea. My, I have an Android device. It's a Pixel Three. But I don't. I've I've always struggled with with uh, replacing the ROM on there because the reason I have it is to kind of know what the Google experience is like. But I'd be down for it. I would. Be, I'd give it a try. Um, I feel like there's. I've, I'm trying to run through my head. My biggest area and where I worry this is going to lead to is I use uh, Google Apps for for Jupiter Broadcasting
1: for like email and calendar and stuff like
0: that. And I think it's a kind of a decent service. I hate to say it.
1: Oh right, calendar. Oh, I'd forgotten about calendar. I use that all the time.
0: Even st- stupid stuff like contacts. You kind of forget that they're just managing my contacts for me on that, you know? <laughs> oh, gentlemen, you guys are so behind the times. Oh, oh, what? You all in on next cloud over there?
2: Well, I ran through this very experiment many years ago. I'll have you know. Could you sound any more smug right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only because you guys are both typically far ahead of me in most other realms.
0: He's he's enjoying this moment too much, Alex. He's enjoying
2: <laughs>
1: this. <laughs> well, good. I want to hear it.
2: I did a similar challenge. Uh, I didn't have anyone else to challenge. I just challenged myself. And I will say it's been actually a few years now. Uh, I think two, two and a half, something like that. And uh, Nextcloud, I will say, is the underpinning of most of it. Uh, most of the hard stuff, which was calendaring, and contact syncing, you know, when it comes to file syncing, I can figure that out in a whole bunch of different ways. Uh, but I will strongly encourage you both to take it pretty seriously, because uh, on the other side is a fairly liberating feeling uh, to know that you have control of all of your own deeply personal information. I mean, something like contacts, if you think about the people you know, and the sensitive information that's in there, it's, it's a little bit surprising uh, to think about what might happen if that got into someone else's hands that uh, would, would like to mix up your life a little bit.
1: Well, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Brent is our de-googlification referee.
0: Yeah, he's uh, he'll be our uh, correspondent in the uh, de-googled universe, reporting live from an alternative universe. So uh, the thing is, I mean, there's so many things to this. There's maps. There's Google Maps is so priceless. Maps. <laughs> oh, no. I know. And you could like if you're on the iPhone, you could use Apple Maps. You could, and in the RV, I've got a Garmin. But I, I tell you what, when I get to a new town, and and like legitimately it's happened several times on this road trip, I trust Google Maps to have the most up to date information. That's been a, that's going to be really hard for me to kick.
1: I really haven't thought this through. This is going to be so hard. Well, I can give you a few pointers
2: based on what I've gone through.
0: Are you not using Google Maps?
2: Well. So that's a really good example of, I think, the concept I'm about to explain. Okay. And so I'll start with saying that I use the exact same concept with uh, my dietary choices. So when people say, oh, how do you eat, Brent? I say, well, I'm like... Trying my very best to eat as vegan as possible, but that never always works out. So, what I would say for you both in de Googlifying is you'll never likely get to 100%, and you need to be okay with that. Because if you can do it even 80, 90, 95% of the time and only rely on Google in certain instances, uh, maybe when Maps in Google has the only updated information on this new ring road around your city and nobody else does or something like that, then I think you're already making a massive difference in your life. And you shouldn't feel bad about that 5% or whatever it may be.
1: Amen. Yeah, absolutely. So the idea behind this challenge is to do exactly what we've just done, you know, pick a service. In this case, it was Google as a whole, but Let's take maps as an example. Discuss what would be required to drop that service. Figure out in the intervening two weeks some options we could use to try and replace it with. And then in the following episode, repeat that cycle, pick a new service and report back on how the old one went.
0: I mean, I kind of feel like if I was going to do it, I could try maps while I'm on the road. Like This is an opportunity to, to try alternative mapping and routing. I know there's a few apps I could give a go, so... Maybe I'll try and just, this is going to be crazy, but while I'm on the road trip, I'll try for the next two weeks not to use Google Maps. See how that goes.
1: Go for it, yeah.
2: I have a question about your choices of alternatives. Will you try to make them free and open source or just try to be an equivalent
0: replacement?
1: What's the name of the show, Brent? (laughs) I'm thinking like
0: for mapping, I don't know what would be even equivalent, right? So then I think it's like not so much equivalent, it's about just core functionality.
1: There's always MapQuest.
0: Yeah. And I feel like switching to Google search to look things up isn't an alternative that I can accept either. So I'll have to give it some thought. I will have to give it some thought. I'm going to look into a couple of different apps for it. And uh, I'm also going to look into how Apple Maps works and see what the privacy situation is there, because that's also already on my device. That's a factor too. It's like, you, like you're saying, Like I love your point about you could just reduce your footprint at Google. If that's the goal, I think that's something I could get behind. And and then I just but it doesn't necessarily
1: mean I want to increase my footprint somewhere else, right? So that's the math I'm gonna to have to do. I don't mind taking two steps forward and one step back with this over the next few years, because that's how long I genuinely think it will take. I just worry, you know, you see people like Apple who were genuinely supposed to be the the privacy first people rolling out stuff like this CSAM protections. And it, it you just think, yeah, this. It's never going to get any better. It's up to me to take control. It's up to me to host this stuff. And if I, you know, take my daughter, for example, uh, I think there's one photograph of her on Facebook. One in the last six months. And I, I I want to keep it as low as that. One every six months. I mean, why does Facebook need all of that data to mine on her? So it's not, it's not her choice. She can't make that choice yet because she's six months old, you know. When she's old enough to make that choice for herself and understand the implications, then... Fair enough, but it's not really my place to share her pictures everywhere, is it? I know you've got this whole road trip prep ritual where you update things a couple of nights before in critical systems the week before and all this kind of stuff. What did you upgrade this time?
0: You are correct. And yes, I did do some updates. (laughs) Um, This time, you know what I wanted to do is I wanted to try out the new pie hole uh, because I was sniffing around. You know, Hole is one of these things, for those of you who maybe are not familiar, PyHole is, it's like a nice DNS manager that can block ads, maybe block um, adult material, it has a lot of advantages. It's also a DHCP server, so it can hand out addressing and then give your systems on your network names, and it gives you a beautiful dashboard to see everything on there. It just, you know, checks all my boxes, and you can run it as a Docker container, which is what I'm doing on a Raspberry Pi and uh I have version four on there forever for since I talked about it on the show, and it's just been running. you know I don't even mess with it, but I thought, you know what I want to do on this road trip because i'm I'm an old man, and I go to bed as as Brent could attest really early, <laughs> quite yeah, I've had to
2: change my schedule already. when
0: do you normally go to bed
2: well i if left to my own devices i Drift deep into the night. Yeah, um, but that doesn't serve most people around me. So
0: yeah, we're doing like what 9, 10 p.m. at the latest, and so I don't want the kids up much late, later than that, uh, browsing the internet because they can just you know get their devices after dad nods off and start browsing the web, and so or watching YouTube more 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 likely. Let's be honest, and so I wanted to be able to pause their devices, and I had read that you could do that in Pi Hole, but I I logged into my Pi Hole setup. And I had just done a Docker poll, you know. I so I was a really it should be totally up to date. And I log in, and it's several versions behind. And I'm I'm looking at my Docker compose file, and I see it's using the latest tag, you know, for the latest image. And I think, okay, well, why aren't I getting that? I'm starting to think maybe there's some compatibility problem. So I start looking into it, and it turns out no, I'm using the wrong tag. I was supposed to be using Pi Master arm64 Buster because I'm on a Buster based Debian. And uh, so I set the right tag in there, I get the right image, I pull down version 5, it's like version 5.3 or whatever, working great, the upgrade goes super smooth, Con- you know, congrats to the pihole team for making that easy. And yet I can't pause the devices like I read, like I should be able to. I grouped up the kids' devices by Mac addresses. I go into their group. I say disable. And I think what I'm just doing is disabling the Pi-hole filtering. I don't think I'm disabling their internet access. So I went through this whole rigmarole, getting this whole system updated so that way we'd have the latest Pi-hole while we're going down the road. Because my theory is let's block the ads at the network level so that way I'm not wasting network bandwidth, you know, because we have limited network bandwidth. Anything I can do. So Pi-hole, it's working great, but it's not giving me the results I wanted. I wanted to be able to pause the kid's internet when I go to bed, and I cannot do it. If anybody out there knows a way to do this with Pi-hole, or a relatively straightforward way to just accomplish this that doesn't require a specific router software or whatever, I'd love to know. selfhostedshow slash contact. But the upshot is upgrading from Pi-hole 4 to dot whatever, super smooth, totally flawless. Once I got the right tag in there,
2: <laughs> I have a question. Would you be able to uh, tie that into your Home Assistant um, "Good Night
0: Kids" recipe? Oh, I could imagine. I do pull uh, in Home Assistant. There is a piehole Hole integration, and so I do pull into Home Assistant uh, the the amount of net- active network clients and some DNS stats for the, for the day, and I graph them in Home Assistant on the dashboard just just for my own fun. Um, and I don't know, but I bet you there is a way you could totally do that is when I run that, when I run that script, it also would pause their devices.
1: Right. Have a look in your telegram. I've just sent you a picture. This is of the AdGuard home interface. And just look at all the different services that you can toggle on and toggle off. And then also look at the top of this page where it says, select the tags that correspond to a specific client. You know, the tag being child or or whatever it is. Doesn't this do what you need? Ah, uh, yeah. You know, the only thing that's fu- funny thing about it is uh, it felt
0: like this, this approach with AdGuard, because I actually gave AdGuard a, a, about a 20-minute try. It didn't have like just turn off everything. It, it, you can go in and block individual services like eBay, Hulu, Discord, Amazon, Instagram, Facebook, Telegram, Twitch, YouTube. All which actually would basically do the job, to be honest with you. If I just turned off YouTube, that'd do 90% of it. Uh, but I just want turn off internet access. Like, just don't route them. Could you send them to a dud DNS server? I was wondering about that. It, it, you know, it would, it would have to be a pretty short DHCP lease that somehow switched around bedtime or something like that. I don't know. Or maybe reboot the Wi-Fi access point point. then every client gets a new IP and at that point they all get routed to like <laughs> nowhere. <laughs> I, I mean, I think the AdGuard solution may be just simpler because if you turn off, uh it's funny that Cloudflare is one of the services in here. I mean, if you turn off Cloudflare, you're going to break <laughs> a lot of the internet right there. And then if I turn off YouTube, that's going to do pretty much the rest of it for them. Yeah. So maybe I'll go back to AdGuard. I think I liked the DHCP server setup better in PyHole when I was looking at the two though.
2: One option might just be throw them on a different... uh wi-fi network and switch that off
0: yeah that's true i could have a kid wi-fi network
1: that's the one brent the simple solutions are always the best simplicity gentlemen <laughs>
0: i you know i do need another wi-fi network
1: in this thing <laughs> i've got like <laughs> six or something i don't know it's ridiculous but yeah that
0: would probably work huh
1: if you have a better idea let us know at self slash contact now in the meantime one password have been busy this week and released version 8
0: Yeah, version eight of what I used to think was one of the best password managers out there. And they recently released a Linux desktop version and they announced that the backend was written in Rust. And I thought, hey, isn't that just fantastic? But version eight is switching to a subscription-only service, Alex. And I think there's kind of a big loss in functionality with that.
1: $3 a month to manage your passwords. Why do we need a password manager To be a subscription service not only that why do we need a password manager that can no longer handle local vaults my mind is just blowing out right now when i read this news this week i just couldn't believe they would make such a dumb move and then i saw that they took a 200 million dollar series a funding late in 2019 and suddenly all became clear
0: Oh, yeah. Okay, that does kind of connect the dots, doesn't it? Unfortunately, I hate to see it that way. But that's, that's pretty tough not to see. And then when you combine the changes they're making, so that Linux Electron app they created with the Rust backend, surprise, turns out to be what they're switching everybody to. So now the new Mac versions also Electron and the Mac users are pissed because 1Password started as kind of a exclusive to the Apple ecosystem with native applications that was what 1Password was special for and so now to switch over to electron the mac users are just pissed and i don't mean to laugh but linux users we've had to live with that for a while already um but it's two whammies at once an electron swaperoo and the removal of a local vault that's just that's just well, that's game over right there. Um, I have 1Password installed on my machine because I was playing around with it to compare it to Bitwarden, and they just disqualified themselves.
1: I remember 1Password, I think, was the first password manager I used. It, it must have been... because I was still working at the Apple Store at the time, so it was 2013, I want to say. And at the time, I thought it was absolutely crazy, the idea of putting all my passwords in one place. I thought, how could that... How can this possibly be more secure right? than me remembering the password in my head?
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember. That. I, I think I thought that way too. Very early on, I was very
1: sceptical. Yeah, but over time, I mean, my my approach has matured and everything now lives in my Bitwarden. And I do mean everything. WireGuard configs live in there. Bit of a tangent for a second. We, we had a, a right old chat this week about encrypted uh, storage uh, vaults on Discord with... Uh, a couple of the guys on there. One was talking about Cryptomator, which I'll talk about in a future episode. And another one was talking about um, Veracrypt. And both of those are great fun. But honestly, nothing beats the simplicity of Bitwarden for me. Just you can store files in there. You can do all your two-factor stuff in there and all your passwords. I mean, if you know my master password, I've never said it out loud. I uh, good Good for you. Well done. I mean, you deserve to crack some of my stuff, I guess.
0: Bitwarden should totally sponsor this show because I am a big Bitwarden fan now, too. They totally won out in my tests. And the fact that there's that Rust implementation of the server that's super easy to get up and running, I'm just all about it. Have you tried Bitwarden? You know, I will admit I haven't.
2: I got onto password managers even earlier than Alex, I will admit. and uh, Wow, he's he's really taking this opportunity, Alex. <laughs> You don't have me on the show that often, so I gotta take it all.
0: <laughs> I love
2: it. So I landed on uh, a great many years ago on the KeyPass databases, and uh, I will say that they are simpler. And I have to sync them myself with some other solution. However, they've been solid, and my father thinks they're his favorite application ever, and uh, that that says something. So everyone I've shown it to has enjoyed their simplicity and uh, hasn't needed to think about it much more than that. So I think Bitwarden, if I was getting into it today,
1: would be the perfect solution for me, but I don't really have a reason to change. KeePass and KeePass, was it XC, I think? Uh, very popular options, but you touched on the reason why I, why I won't consider it, and that, for me, is the, the fact that you have to sync it. Uh, with Vaultwarden, which is a self-hosted Bitwarden server, and the hosted service that costs $12 a year, Uh, I never have to think about it. And for passwords, when I have way too many devices in my life you know, I have often got more than one phone and a tablet and a laptop and a desktop and a server and wife's phone and blah, blah, blah. I just don't need that extra complexity in my life.
0: System D has been around for a while and a lot of us can muddle through, but our friends at A Cloud Guru have a course in system D management for Linux that will take it to the next level for you. You can get an idea of how the components work together, how to configure, manage, and monitor and troubleshoot this rather important piece of system software. It's a course that's designed to help demystify the sometimes difficult and deep topic of systemd. So go over to a cloudguru.com for that, or we will have a link in the show notes for systemd management for Linux at a cloudguru.com. Uh, We got an email in about my usage of wall panel. The Linux trucker writes, I was listening to your last episode and heard you talking about wall panel. Although it is great software, I feel there is a better option. The fully kiosk browser does everything that wall panel does, including motion detection, auto launch, and will even function with the home button on Android. However, for use with home assistant, it takes it a step further. Fully Kiosk will connect to MQTT and send battery, temperature, and some of the other information to Home Assistant. I'm using this in combination with a smart outlet to cycle the battery in hopes it will last a little bit longer. Man, I've been talking about doing that. That's that's awesome. Uh, Linux Trucker goes on to say, It also gives you one more device you can use for automations and tinkering in Home Assistant. <laughs> this is a very small $5 fee to unlock all of the features, and I don't mind supporting great software that I use every day. Give it a look before you settle for wall panel, the Linux trucker.
1: And we have an anonymous person who wrote in saying, Hi, Chris and Alex, I recently bought my first apartment and construction will take about two years. My wife is going to focus on the kitchen, the living room and the bathroom. Whilst what I'm thinking about are the tech parts of the project. <laughs> of course. I have many things I'm wondering about. And I'm not entirely sure what to prioritise. I mean, laying cables and other electrical work is probably going to be one of the more important things. But I'm already wondering, for example, whether PoE is the right tech or not. A totally different topic is IoT and home appliances. You can buy washing machines and ovens and all sorts of things with Wi-Fi built in these days. But some of this stuff is going to be in a basement where Wi-Fi might not be the best choice. I am hoping that there is some compromise for all this. Can you help me?
0: This is an opportunity because he is so early in the stage of planning. He can run Cat7. He could run Fiber if he wanted to. I mean, he could really go all out. And he could also run Ethernet to Wi-Fi access points. This is this is how you get your Wi-Fi rock solid, by the way, is you have multiple Wi-Fi access points that have Ethernet run to them. And that stuff just works like nearly like Ethernet. I won't say like Ethernet because nothing works like Ethernet, but it's pretty close. And if you're in this, man, if you're in this stage right now, Anonymous, you are you are in such a great position. I mean, imagine, Alex, if you could have been two years before your house was even finished building. Like, you, oh, what a great, so many choices, but what a great position to be in.
1: Well, it's the ultimate conclusion of being a self-hoster, isn't it? It's to be a self-builder. So I think in my life plan at some point, It might be 10 years away, but I really want to build my own house and and do all of this stuff and make all these decisions. Uh, And to that point, another one of our our listeners is uh, embarking on a similar journey himself up in Vermont. His name is Matt and they have a YouTube channel called Adventurous Way. There'll be a link to it in the show notes. They've literally only just closed on the 40 acre plot of land up in Vermont. And currently, Chris, they live in an RV. So... You know there's a lot of stuff, a lot of synergy between his approach to stuff and yours right now, so I'm really curious to see what they're doing. I've just watched a video tonight where they're cutting back all the trees on the land, for example, so they're they're doing it all themselves pretty much right from the very beginning and man, does that fill me with some excitement? I think in the future that's I've just you've got to do it I've just got to do it.
0: I feel the same way I feel exactly the same way, so I'm definitely gonna check out their channel. I could see parking lady jupes on some land and building from there. Uh, I think that'd be the ultimate final destination for Lady Jupes if I could. It'd be some piece of land that we park her on.
1: I, I, can, I can imagine a JB commune right now. Brent in his little house in the corner.
0: <laughs> totally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd be there, Wes would be there. It'd be great. Yeah, man.
2: You know, I've retrofitted uh, many homes in the last few decades with the technologies of the day. And I think part of my advice would be To look at the cost of laying a bunch of cable versus what you think the future might bring in the next even five years, because some of the homes that uh, I've lived in that have been retrofitted with Ethernet to every room, actually, my parents' home right now, we didn't do this, but there's Ethernet run to every toilet, (laughs) you know, just in case you need the best (laughs) speeds possible. Um, I I
0: don't know why, but I love that idea, actually. I, I think I see nothing wrong with that.
2: That seems reasonable. Uh, But it turns out they never get used and nothing ever gets plugged in because the Wi-Fi, even in the basement, is good enough for most of the activities that ever happen in that home. So I would use some imagination and think about where Wi-Fi is going to be in the next, you know, five to 10 years and think about if the cost is worth it.
1: I know there are people tapping in their keyboards furiously right now, run conduit. And I think that's probably the best future-proof thing you can do, is to make sure there's plenty of conduit so you can upgrade the cables later without having to fish through walls.
0: Uh, Jonas writes in along the same line. He says, I know you guys talk about networking a lot. Uh, We're renovating our house. We ran Cat7 cables almost to every room. But we've discovered, to Brent's point, we're still using Wi-Fi a ton. And so now I'm looking at what are the right APs and switches to use here. I heard you guys mention recently that you don't think you'd recommend Unify gear anymore. So now I'm kind of stuck. Do I go with cheap stuff? Do I do unmanaged? Do I do managed switches? You know, I'm looking for stuff in the range of maybe $1,000, somewhere in there. Slightly professional gear, but not too crazy. And he wants to know if we have any recommendations. This is a good
1: point. Like, what do you do if you want really great Wi-Fi right now? I mean, the reality of the situation is I bought the Unify access point I'm looking at right now from my desk in 2015 and it has just done the job extremely well since then despite all of Unify's wackiness with their policies over the last year or two the hardware and the performance of what i put in has just been great i can't really fault the actual device so with regards to would i purchase it again I'm already in the Unify ecosystem. The pragmatist in me is going, yes, I probably would if I needed a third access point in this house, for example, just to make sure it all meshed and talked together properly. I'd, I'd probably just buy another one. I know that TP-Link makes some good devices and Jim has written about those on Ars Technica a little bit. There are lots of people over at smallnetbuilder.com that regularly review this stuff. So if you're looking at what the Best mesh system is, or the best Ethernet backhaul system is. That's where I'd go for all that advice, rather than listening to what I know.
2: (laughs) Now, I won't pretend to be an expert, but I do know some people who are, and I will notably say my older brother Chris. He uh, very, very, very strongly recommends the MicroTik uh, hardware and software in this area. He's explored a bunch of it, and he has been very happy over many years with um, just how powerful their software is, but also how it can be simple if you need it to be. And the software that's available is their professional software that gets sent to all of their devices. So even if you buy their low-end hardware, you get the same software. So I would recommend looking into that. I can't make any specific recommendations, but when I asked him,
0: that's what he told me. So uh, passing that along. This is an area I'd love to hear what people are using. Mm. What are you actually using out there uh, and how's it worked for you? Uh, because I'm also trying to find something else. And there's so many mesh options out there, but so I think all of them, if, if I'm not mistaken, require cloud connectivity or some sort of cloud account. And I just don't want any of that. I, 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 Unify, I feel like I've already made that concession once before for the stuff we have in the studio. So, okay, that, that's already a concession I've made, but I'd love some tips. And if you're sticking with Unify, I'd love to know why too selfhosted.show slash contact
1: and did you see that the grand tour aired uh, an episode this week in scotland
0: we watched it on the road actually as a family we all sat down and watched it and had a great time it was more of like a classic episode i felt alex did you get
1: that sense yeah for my stag do actually a uh, buddy of mine and, and my dad we we rented three cars and we did our own mini top gear road trip from edinburgh actually we started in edinburgh and finished in edinburgh but in the intervening three or four days, we went up to Inverness, drove down the side of Loch Ness, out to the Isle of Skye, and then back through the Trossax. And Oh, man, I tell you what, Scotland has some of the best driving roads, not cliche, in the world. It was just a phenomenal trip. And to watch that episode feeling as homesick as I am at the moment, you know, it, oh, dude, it was just so perfectly timed.
0: Yeah, they really made it beautiful, too. Yeah, those had to be some of the same roads, right? Some of them were,
1: yeah. And i tell you what brought me onto this topic was uh, I've been looking at mechanical keyboards lately and I came across a podcast named Top Clack, you know, like Top Gear. <laughs> I just thought that was fun. Topclack.com if you're a Mech keyboard enthusiast.
0: Oh my goodness, there is a podcast? Are you kidding me? For Of course there is. Why am I surprised at all? Why am I surprised by that? I shouldn't be surprised by that.
2: Almost everyone we've met on this trip has had a podcast.
1: <laughs> That's true, actually. I was listening to, to your podcasting adventures about concrete in Idaho, so. Yeah,
0: uh, we did a couple of micro meetups, and uh, we, had a, we had a group of five at one of them, and literally every single person there had a podcast. Then we did the Salt Lake City meetup, and I, there was a handful of people there that had a podcast. <laughs> it's
2: the influence you both had.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but it was pretty crazy. And Brent joined you for episode 418 of Linux Unplugged, where there was an absolutely excellent rundown of WireGuard user interfaces.
0: Yeah, and not only the tools to manage WireGuard, but big news for people that want to use WireGuard on Windows. There is an alternative to that user space implementation. There is now a kernel space implementation, and the performance difference is huge. So Jim Salter from Ars Technica and Two and a Half Admins joined us to talk about that on Unplugged 4.18 at linuxunplug.com slash
1: 418. That's huge with a Y at the beginning, by the way.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a big deal for people that want to have interconnected Windows and Linux machines or just Windows to Windows machines. And you be able to use WireGuard, too, you feel like this is probably going to take WireGuard up to the next level in the enterprise. And you're going to see adoption now uh, just across the board once they get this code done. It's early days. It's still experimental. And Jim goes through all the details also, uh, we want to say a special thank you to our members who support this show, our site reliability engineers who sign up at self sre You are very special to us in my heart. Remember that? You are in my heart right now. And I say thank you because, you know, as we're out here meeting people and we're doing a road trip like this and all of it, we're all, oh, and we're also, this is the other big part is we're almost at a year now of being independent uh, again and all of this stuff about how... How critical our members have been and all that has just been on my mind. So thank you very much. And if you'd like to support the show, self slash SRE.
1: And don't forget if you're an SRE to listen to the post show, there's going to be an exclusive discount code in there for the merch that we launched last episode. The Chris and the Badger t-shirts are flying off the shelves. And uh, just to make sure that everybody that wants one gets one, we're going to keep that up for another couple of weeks and then we're going to retire it. And then uh, after that, it might make some future special edition appearances. Who knows? But uh, if you want one, make sure you go over there and and pick one up now because uh, who knows when it will ever come back. So we're going to extend that discount code for two more weeks. And come say hi to Chris, Brent and myself in Denver at the Meetup. Go to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting.
0: And I've mentioned it a couple of times, it matters a lot. Your feedback, selfhosted.show slash contact. That's the place to get in touch with
1: us. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Chris LAS. And I'm there at Ironic Badger. And this here show is there at selfhosted.show. And I want to extend a big thanks to everybody for listening. That was selfhosted.show slash 51.
0: We have to talk about something in the post show. I can't believe this. You and I were
1: golf bros and you've gone and sold your golf. I know it hurts to even think about it. I've got a picture of my car. So, you know, throughout my entire 20s, I think this is Golf number 7 that I've owned or had owned. You know, thankfully, Chris and I
2: have both been able to take the passenger seat in that very wonderful car of yours. So we know exactly what you're going
0: through.
1: (laughs) And how much you loved it. Down the same road, too, actually. I, I actually managed to take you both on the Tail of the Dragon, if you didn't know that, separately. That's like that's Alex's version of a bro date. <laughs> it's like his go-to bro date move. I only had to ask
0: Alex to stop one. Yeah, exactly. oh, you did. You had. To <laughs> I'm surprised you you ride a bike. I'm surprised that you had to uh, ask him to stop.
2: I think the difference is because on my motorcycle, I've certainly taken some of those curves at those same speeds. But the difference is, as a passenger, you have no control mm-hmm. and you are not tied to yeah. what the car is doing. You're just along yeah. for the ride. You're just getting swung around that seat. It's true. I just sussed out. I was like, yeah,
0: Alex has got this.
2: <laughs> well, I trusted him completely. I just, my organs did, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. just had no idea what was going <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there is that. That is true.
1: I-, I lusted after that car for my entire 20s. So believe me when I say it was a difficult choice to sell it. But the used car market right now is just absolutely insane. If, if you've been thinking about possibly selling any of the vehicles that you own at the moment, there is never going to be a better time. So I, I paid. Uh, I think it was about forty-two grand for this car, brand new. Since then, that was two years ago, and I've put about seventeen thousand miles on it. Carmax gave me thirty-eight and a half thousand dollars for this car. Wow. Yeah, I could
0: see that. I could see that. That'd be tough.
1: It was just too tempting, particularly when I think to myself about we, we've talked about it in the post show before, but about you know, the electric transition that's going to happen. And also I've just become a father as well. So my, my car needs have kind of changed a bit too, you know? So I start thinking about all these different variables in the equation and how much my monthly payment is and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, uh, I can't, I can't really justify it. Can I, it took me two months to make that decision, but it's done.
0: Yeah. I know you did struggle with it. I feel like the golf isn't an awesome dad mobile. It's not bad for a little one, but as soon as they start getting legs and walking around and kicking, it gets real tight in that golf too. So you, probably, I think, in a year, you're going to look back at this and you're going to feel like it was the right decision. Hopefully, and you have something now, right? Like you, you have something to kick around in the meantime until the theoretically the market comes
1: back to some kind of normal. <laughs> I've, so I've replaced a golf R, I already owned it previously, with a 2002. Chevrolet Silverado 1500. (laughs) A bit of a different vehicle, I think. (laughs) Like a rock. (laughs) It's like a yacht. I tell you what, when you corner in that thing. (laughs) (laughs) Like
0: a yacht.
1: (laughs) You don't really feel the corner so much as slide around it. (laughs) You know, I would love to see you take the tail of the dragon in that thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's rear wheel drive. I tell you, it's a pure driver's car truck (laughs) what's the discount code for our sre subscribers chris
0: right before we get out of here it is sre 50 that's how you get access to it sre because it's for episode 50 sre 50 for anything in the original merchandise category which includes stickers or new shirts that we've created uh there is no discount to be had on garage sale items but there's no garage sale items right now so it's pretty much all of the new stuff SRE 50 and you put that in there in the checkout and uh, it recognizes you as a member and it says, thank you. Here's a discount.
1: We got a tweet from Jonathan just before the show at Optimus Gray saying his shirt's just arrived. Should I wear it to the meetup next week? Like hell yes, you should.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. Absolutely. That's how we know you're one of us. It's actually even helpful when we're walking up to a meetup location and right. you know, we don't know if they're with us or if they're with another group. And so if you see them with swag, you know, like, okay, yeah, that's our that's our crew.
1: <laughs> can we can we mention the uh the swag that may or may not exist at the meetup on Friday next week? Can we can we talk about that in the show or is it super secret? No, we have uh we, we, have, have, some, yeah, we
0: have some shirts. Proof of concept. We have stickers. Uh uh
2: Linone has these little uh packages the little key thing what do you call those
0: oh yeah They're, i don't know they linode has a whole set of stuff uh including like a couple of raspberry Pis in there more i've got a
1: linode battery bank over here from a conference a few years ago
0: <laughs> uh and uh, uh garner is going to be there linux gamer is going to be there too
1: oh it's going to be so good to see you all
2: you've been asking for this for well i can say it years now yeah oh yeah <laughs> alex has been way too long since we've seen each other
0: yeah yes it has yeah it just had to happen it had to happen